There was so much on my heart I wanted to share that day, but it was only a very short message. And I thought I'd like to come back to this and to take you a bit deeper into what I shared that day and to explore a bit more about baptism, believer's baptism, which is very much part of who we are as a group of Baptist churches. So, from that day at Loch Fascally, or not a recent day at Loch Fascally, uh, we're going to think this morning about believer's baptism and about those last words that Jesus spoke before He left His followers and ascended into heaven. And it's in those words that we find the core of what defines us as a group of Baptist Christians. I came across a little piece of 19th century American doggerel that suggests uh, one origin for the Baptists. And here's how it goes, referring to the baptism of Jesus. Not at the Jordan River, but in that crystal stream stood Jesus, the baptizer, when John baptized him. John was a Baptist preacher when he baptized the Lamb. So, Jesus was a Baptist, and thus the Baptist came. <laughs> Do I hear an amen? <laughs> but the real origin to who we are historically goes back to after the Reformation, four or five hundred years ago, and to groups of believers who said, we've got to be serious about the New Testament, what it says about the church, what it says about freedom of religion, what it says about following Jesus as disciples, and what it says about believers' baptism. Now, most nicknames tend to stick. Did you know that Christian was a nickname? It was a nickname given in Antioch, probably because the people who got the nickname were known as the, the Christ ones. They're always talking about this Christ. They're the Christ ones, or the Jesus freaks that we might call them today. That nickname stuck, and now we are delighted to be known as Christians because we're followers of Christ. In the same way, Baptist was originally a nickname. It was a nickname given to these groups of people who were gathering together saying, we're, we're trying to recover the essence of what the New Testament says about being the church of Jesus today. But the thing that most people saw as being different was their practice of baptizing believers by immersion rather than baptizing infants or babies. And so the nickname Baptist was given to them. And like most nicknames, it stuck. Many of them didn't want to be known by that name at the time, but it became a defining word. And now it's a word that encapsulates many of the principles that were true in that early group of trying to follow what Jesus says about being His people in the New Testament. And the Baptist Union Declaration of Principle that... Uh, we have in Scotland today says this, and it picks up this theme of baptism. Christian baptism is the immersion in water into the name of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit of those who professed repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day. And all of that derives from the passage in Matthew. Can you turn to that passage again, please? Matthew chapter 28. The last words of Jesus, who, come, who came to His disciples on a mountainside in Galilee, and in Matthew's gospel, the last things He said to them are recorded there. And He prefaces the one command He gave them at this point with these astonishing words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. A few weeks ago, China celebrated 70 years of communist rule. And the Chinese Premier Xi Jinping, I think that's how you say his name, made the statement with all this military might processing in front of him, huge rockets, massed ranks of uh, service personnel, all fully armed. They were saying, look how powerful we've become. And the Chinese leader said, no force can stop the Chinese people and the Chinese nation. We've got power. We've got authority. He's not the first and he won't be the last person to make claims like that. And we recognize in the Western world that the most powerful person is Donald Trump. Power, authority. And it can become quite seductive. And people begin to believe the spiels that they share about themselves or about their empires that they build. So for a Galilean carpenter to be standing on a mountainside in Israel with 11 disciples and say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me is either the statement of a madman or someone who truly is who he claimed to be. And it's on that basis, these last words of Jesus, the risen Jesus, it's on that basis that he then commissions his followers and he says that he's going to send them out. So we're going to ask some questions about believers' baptism and the context it's in today. What did Jesus say? And here's the first thing that we notice about what He said. This stunning claim that He makes, it's either true or it's deluded and He's mad. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, with this small group of followers, and he makes this claim. Not some authority, not temporary authority, not partial authority, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And arising out of that, he gives his 
very clear commission. And his commission is this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 describes Jesus as the commander of the rulers of the earth. Now, if his claim is true, Jesus is already ruling the world. His rule is not yet universally acknowledged, but it will be. One day, every eye will see him, says the Apostle Paul, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he has been exalted to the place of authority, supreme authority, complete authority, all authority is given to him. And one day that will be acknowledged. We live in the in-between times, but we must keep clear that vision of Jesus, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. He's there now. He is exalted. And the more we are conscious of that, the more we sense the power and authority that He invests in us as His followers to go and fulfill His commission that He gave to these 11 disciples standing on a remote mountainside in Galilee. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, I want you to go and do what I'm telling you. And you do so with my authority. Here's another question that comes out of that. Why did Jesus say this? Because he gives a very clear command to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus say that? You know, if we only had the Lord's Supper and baptism, and we had no New Testament, no record of the life of Jesus written down, no letters in the New Testament, if we only had the Lord's Supper and baptism, we would be able to grasp the gospel from these two things. They're a bit like icons, you know, the computer kind, where you click on the icon and a whole world opens up. The Lord's Supper and baptism, the two sacraments that we observe and do so frequently, they lead us into the fullness of the whole gospel. And that's one of the reasons Jesus gave this answer, this command. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. Why did he specifically say baptizing them? I want to suggest three answers to that. To unite us with Him. Remember that the Lord who gave this command is the Lord who'd suffered and died. Very vividly in the minds of these 11 disciples was the crucifixion of Jesus. But also very vivid to them was His resurrection because He was standing right there in front of them. He had died. 
He was now alive. And that was forever to be enshrined in communion and in baptism. And in baptism, one of the most powerful spiritual aspects of that is that when we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we are joined to Jesus. We belong to Him. We're drawn into union with Him in a way that is almost impossible to explain. And I remember um, in our first church in Shettleston in Glasgow, uh, we baptized one young woman and she said, you know, when I was under the water, it was so wonderful, I didn't really want to come back up again. <laughs> and we said, well, that's very f- good for you, but uh, it's not so, so good for us. Well, we brought her back up. But she said she had such a sense of being united with Jesus. Jim Graham, the late Jim Graham, who would be known to some of you, uh, he once made this wonderful statement, when Jesus commands us to be baptized, he invites us to attend our own funeral service. Because we die with Christ and we come alive with him. So here's a great line for sharing with others. Um, After a baptismal service, you're at work or you're out having a coffee with somebody or you meet a neighbor in the street and say, what did you do yesterday? Oh, we had a great funeral service. It was fantastic. You should have been there. And I say, what? And you talk about dying with Jesus and rising with him. So why did he give this command? Because he wants us to be one with him. He wants us to enter into all that He did for us. He wants to share that with us and to make it real and tangible in our lives. The second answer in this text, I think, is that He wants to mark us as His, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that was a way of saying you come into the possession of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You belong to Him, and His mark is stamped upon your life. That's the name that you receive. You belong to this God, the God we know as Father, the God we worship as the Son, the God who's the Holy Spirit, sovereign and free, moving in our lives and in our communities. He marks us as His when we are baptized. Earlier, Deirdre invited us to pray for people and to use those words from, wonderful words from Aaron's blessing in Numbers chapter 6. And I was praying for some people who have been baptized, but sadly have slipped away from devotion to Jesus and praying that that mark that God placed upon their lives will, will stay with them and the prodigals, if you like, and that one day they'll come back and acknowledge that that mark they could never really get rid of. Jesus wants us to be marked as His. So He wants us to know that we belong to Him, that we're one with Him, that we're in His family, and that this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our God, and we're His children. And the third answer, I think, that's there in Scripture, is to build His church. 
On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached his famous sermon in response to a question that people asked about whether the followers of Jesus were drunk because they were speaking in other languages, Peter stood up and preached his famous sermon. And he made an, an appeal at the end of his sermon. And it says, 3,000 were baptized that day, turning from their sins, and they were added to the church. What was Jesus doing? He was building his church. He's the only one who does that. He said, I will build my church. And as the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminded us, it's only Jesus who builds his church. We witness and we work and we worship and we serve and we do what we believe God has given us to do, but we can't build the church. It's Jesus who does that. I will build my church, says Jesus. So, our second question, these are some of my answers. Here's another question. How do we respond when Jesus speaks like this to us? How do we go about dealing with and taking on board what He said? And here's my first answer here, in imitating Jesus by following Him. Jesus did go down into the Jordan River. He was baptized by John. So we follow in his footsteps quite literally. John tried to stop Jesus from being baptized. And John's reason for that was to say to Jesus, I baptize people who come to repent, but you've got nothing to repent of. And Jesus says, it's the right thing to do to fulfill all that God requires. And as someone once said, Jesus did have sin that day at the Jordan River. He had my sin and your sin. He was taking our place in going down into the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. Even then, He was representing us taking the place of sinners, standing with us as He would do when He became sin for us, when He went to the cross. So, in baptizing people, we are imitating Jesus. And I think uh, as you read the stories in the New Testament about people coming to faith and being baptized, you begin to, to see one reason why we baptize by immersion is because no other mode of baptism so adequately captures the truth of the gospel about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, being covered over by the water, being covered over in the grave, and being raised again to new life. Now, not everyone can be immersed for medical reasons, for example, and most Baptist churches would acknowledge that. But we would say that the norm and the New Testament norm is that people come to faith in Jesus Christ and then are baptized, and they're imitating Jesus. They're going down with Him, and they're coming up to newness of life with Him. And when 
they come up from the water, there are usually people there to greet them. There's uh, always folks holding towels or uh, people to give them a hug because we identify with the people of God. We become one with His people. They've gone this way before, and now they're standing with us, and we're one together. We belong to Jesus. We're a community of disciples. We're His. It was about 55 years ago this month that I was baptized. I was 14 years of age at the time, so you can guess how old I am. And I didn't realize at the time how significant that moment was. I'd come to believe in Jesus for myself when I was about 10, and then four years later was baptized. And I can honestly say I'm still learning today the implications of what happened at that time. That sense of belonging to the people of God, of being one with His people, of being committed to life of discipleship, of following Jesus day by day. It's never left me. And at low times and at times when I was rebellious and stubborn, God very graciously kept His hand upon me and would not let me drift too far away. And by His grace, He's brought me to where I am today. And I pray that however long is left, that uh, my last words, if God uh, so uh, allows it, my last words might be of praise to Him for His faithfulness and His goodness ever since that moment. So, another question, how do we respond? And this is why we do what we do. This is why we link baptism and faith because baptism is a sign of living personal faith in Jesus, of belonging to Him and being one with Him. And where does this lead to the last question from this passage this morning? And it leads, as I've been implying, to a lifetime of discipleship, of following Jesus. You notice that this command is given in the context of making disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Uh, there was a time when I don't know if it's still the case because I'm retired now, but there was a time when organizations and churches were all trying to come up with a, a mission statement that expressed their essence, their ethos. And uh, sometimes they would take ages to come up with that mission statement, and they would spend a fortune trying to do it. But after thinking and wrestling with that for, for many years, I thought, Actually, this isn't a bad mission statement here, is it? Can you get anything better than this? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Quick participation moment. Hands up if you've obeyed everything Jesus has commanded you. Okay, we've still got some way to go, 
brothers and sisters. None of us would put our hands up to that. You notice Jesus doesn't say, teaching them everything I've commanded you. I've known many people who could quote the Bible back to front. They know it, but the acid test is, are you doing it? Are you obeying what Jesus commanded? And it's very carefully said by Jesus, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Wow, that's quite a task. That's going to take all of our lives. And then it will take us into the new heavens and the new earth where we can fully fulfill all that God requires of us, all that God wants us to be and to do in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine this side of eternity. But that's where it leads. It's whole life discipleship. It's not following Jesus while it feels good or for a short time. It's following Jesus constantly until that moment comes when he takes us home or when he himself returns in power and glory. I have met some people who said, well, I've, I've served God. I've done my bit. It's time for me to have a break now and have a rest. Retirement is unknown in the kingdom of God. You never retire from following Jesus. And I feel those words as powerfully, if not more powerfully, in my heart and in my mind as that moment as a 10-year-old boy when I invited Jesus to come into my life. Follow me. It never stops. And the commission that he gives us is a universal mandate. Go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Make disciples of all nations. That's one of the reasons why our, our Baptist Union Declaration of Principle also includes the words, it's the duty of every disciple to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world. And that's a task that is as yet unfinished. So what begins on a mountainside in Galilee, within 25 years will have reached the capital of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. There will be riots in the streets of Rome because Christianity is spreading. Churches are being established. And within 40 years of Jesus saying these words, the Roman authorities will be trying to find ways to subdue this growing menace of Christians proliferating and churches growing. They will be persecuted, but nothing, nothing will stop them. We could maybe borrow the words of the Chinese leader and say, because all authority belongs to Jesus, nothing 
can stop what he has begun. There's an interesting statement made by Matthew at the start of this passage. In verse 17 it says, When they saw him, the eleven disciples, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What on earth was going on? Here's the, the risen, living Jesus. He's been with them for weeks, appearing from time to time, speaking to them, teaching them. And now it says some doubted or some hesitated. And you know a fascinating thing? Jesus would know what's in the hearts of people. He could read people like a book. And he doesn't address their doubts and their hesitations. Instead, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. On what basis? That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's almost as if Jesus says, I know some of you have got doubts. I know some of you are hesitating. Just go and do what I say. And these will all be dealt with as you do that. As you go. As you make disciples. As you baptize. As you teach them. All these things that are problematic, they'll all be worked out. Just go and do what I've said. There is some evidence that in the days of the early church that the Lord's Prayer was not shared uh, widely until after people were baptized. And it was then they were taught this prayer and would say it as a prayer that could be seditious in the Roman Empire. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a prayer that had ramifications way beyond their time and their age. As a prayer that's being worked out in the world today. But it seemed to me that that was a fitting way to end this message this morning. As we reflect on these words of Jesus. As we ask, what did he say? Why did he say it? How do we respond? And where does it lead? And as we know that when we engage with all that Jesus did and said, the promise of these words is proved absolutely true. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's ruling. He's with us. And the day will come when the prayer, I want to invite you to pray with me in a moment, has fully come to pass. Nothing could be more certain. If you wish, would you like to stand with me as we share the Lord's Prayer? And perhaps the music, musicians can come back to the platform as well. And as we stand before the Lord, let's take a moment just to reflect on how we react to whatever He's been saying to us today.
And if you want to uh, ask me any questions, or if you want to ask for someone to pray with you, or if you sense God speaking in a specific way, there are people in the church here who would be delighted to pray for you. And just down at your left, at my right, if you come to that area at the end of the service, there'll be folks around who would love to share with you there. But we come to pray this prayer. And we'll use the version, if you remember, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Here's the prayer of the kingdom of God. This is the prayer that Jesus taught. This is the prayer that's guaranteed to be answered. The prayer that fulfills a proper reaction to the words, the last words that Jesus spoke. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.